powered by Riverside. On today's episode of the Road to the Top podcast, I sat down with John Brzezakis, President and CEO of Maryland and D.C. Credit Union Association. Our conversation started by talking about Manchester University, where he was an economics major, and he walked us through his over 30 years within the credit union industry to his current role as President and CEO. John shares a lot of great advice and his story, so without further delay, let's get to the show. John, thank you for taking the time to come out of the Road to the Top podcast. We're really excited to have you on the show today. Thrilled to be here. Well, it's great to hear from you. Thanks. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So where I would love to start, John, is around your college year. So you were an economics major at Manchester University, or did you have a different career path in mind growing up, or has your career followed a path that, that you envisioned? So my career path was in finance, per se, but I had graduated with my um, licenses so I could become a broker. I had an internship with at the time. It was IDS Financial Services. Um, and I happened to be with a friend. Uh, was picking up a friend of mine at a job fair in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And they were in an interview. And I was just kind of waiting around, talking. And I saw this booth for Teachers Credit Union in Indiana. And I just walked up, there was no one there, and just asked, what's a credit union? And the lady told me, and she asked if I had a resume, and I said, no, I was just here to pick up a friend. She asked if I had a few minutes to talk, and I did. I got a call to interview at the credit union for this management training program, and three weeks later, uh, I started my career in credit unions, and here I am 34 years later (laughs) uh, in credit unions. As I look back at that, and I look back at my first interview, who um, a, a gentleman by the name of Vic Pantia, who was the chief operating officer, it was about just a connection, right? It, when you're talking and when you're interviewing, and it just so happened that it, in my brief resume at the time, my summer jobs were in the steel mill companies in the summers, and so were his. Mm-hmm. And... We just started talking, and uh, as he described, you know, the position, it was a, a good fit to get a good, well-rounded background to wow. start. And it just seems that, again, it was that ability to connect to people and to talk to people, and that was important to the credit union, and that was – the interview was about that. It wasn't so much about the, any technical aspects, uh, but it was more about, you know, how do you connect to people, how – genuine are you, I guess, for lack of a better phrase. Yeah. And you, I mean, you've been well known as being building strong relationships with people, whether they're colleagues, business partners, or strengths to be able to build strong relationships with people. Anything that comes to mind? Being present when you're talking with people, being authentic. And I've used that in different discussions I've had with people about being authentic, be genuine, Right. Because at the end of the day, you're going to be who you are. So if you're trying to be somebody else to either get a job or to meet somebody or get to know somebody at the end of the day, it's going to be who you are. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't do a lot of good to try to be somebody else. And I think people recognize that. I 
it's more so today than ever. It feels that being authentic in how you deal with people and how you listen to get to know people and understand them and to try to personalize your conversation with the people you're talking to. So you really get an understanding of what their background is, what makes them tick, and then how can you, you know, what do you have in common? How can you share in a moment or share in an experience? Mm -hmm. It's those things that are important. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And so you, in college, you went to Manchester University, which is a relatively small college. I mean, around um, 1,100 students. Are there certain advantages that you see with going to a smaller college? Because I think a big attraction right now is large universities. I mean, any any specific insight that from your experience at Manchester? So my college journey was a little bit, was influenced highly by athletics. So that was the main reason that got me to Manchester initially. And it had a very good academic background, especially when it came to business and accounting. Um, and I looked at other schools to to play sports at and it was the right fit for me going on campus meeting people it just felt like the right fit as opposed to um, maybe a really large school which that wasn't necessarily on the radar because of my um, hope to play sports in college um, but it's definitely a different environment and you have to be prepared for it um, it was great I enjoyed it but watching my kids now, my one daughter went to Columbia College of Chicago, so that's a city campus. My other son is going to be going to University of Maryland, which, right, a Big Ten, big-time campus. I don't know how I would have done over there. <laughs> With You know, there's a lot more distractions than going to, as you said, a small school. Yeah. But it was it was the right environment for me. Yeah. Any advice that you've given them, like in terms of trying to determine a major or or anything like that? The best advice that I was given was leave yourself open to opportunity. So take a variety of classes, take a variety of um, opportunities to, especially early on, um, because that's you're gonna pivot, you're gonna change, you're gonna get exposed to things, you're gonna learn about other opportunities that maybe you never thought of. And, and that's gonna, then you're gonna be able to hone something that, you know, kind of lights a fire under you or really creates an interest. And I found that for my middle son, my daughter knew exactly what she wanted. She wanted to be involved in film. So she went to Columbia, but my son, that's a junior, he wasn't quite sure. And now he's going to do computer engineering. So and computer science. So that was for him. It took those first two years to figure that out. Right. Right. And in the beginning, you talked about, you know, your first job out of, out of college. Can you talk to some of the challenges that you faced early in your career and, you know, how you overcame those challenges? So in the management training program that I was in, it was the first time that the company had, like, required people to have college degrees to come into this program. And you were designed to rotate around the credit union and get some a good breadth of experience in short periods of time and the the benefit was being young you're you're you think you can take on every responsibility that comes to you and you're enthusiastic and you're ready to roll the challenge that you have in that environment though is when you take something on and maybe it doesn't go as well as you thought it was going to go 
or you think everybody's on board with you, but maybe they're just kind of letting you go, giving you enough line to see, well, are you going to sink or are you going to swim? And then the opportunity to actually make that right. So I went through a situation where I had thought I had asked all the right questions, thought I had done everything right. But the leadership at the credit union allowed you to stumble, to fall, um, fail, and learn from it and just and move on and grow from it. So that was, I was the beneficiary of that. I, but I've seen a lot of folks where the challenge is that you've got a lot of people that maybe you don't quite have the support you think you have. Um, might be a little bit naive in that everybody's on the same team and, and rowing in the same direction. Um, and in credit unions, I would say that is the case 90% of the time. But never forget that you still need to look at things from a 360 level or especially from a high level. And just re remember to remind yourself to pull yourself away from the day-to-day -to, -day to go up to that 20,000 feet so you can take a look and be self-aware and evaluate, okay, are we doing the right thing or not? Yeah. And so how, you know, your current role now as CEO, how do you think about culture where people feel comfortable to basically say, hey, I messed up here? So they have to see you allow people to do that. I think it's right. It's but leading by example at that point. Mm -hmm. You can create your culture. Um, and I've been fortunate to work in organizations where every credit union I've worked at was very supportive and the culture was about the employees. Right. I know you were at BC for a little bit. And, you know, Mike, I think is at least the best leader I've worked for in my career. And part of that is a culture will take on the personality of its leader, but the sustainability is when people feel empowered um, to do their role and to know that you don't expect everything to be perfect all the time. You want it to be. And if there's a stumble, as long as people are accountable and they take responsibility and they move on and they learn from things, I, I think starting at the employee level and letting um, – trying to empower people so they can do what they need to do. That's the challenge. I think that's the hardest part with culture um, is how do you get that to become enterprise wide? Yeah. Yeah. And I agree. And you touched on BCU. So, you know, for, in terms of career paths, so you, you grew, you went up the ladder to the CEO at community trust credit union and then transitioned to BCU as a senior vice president of business development. So, how did you know that that was the next step for your career to transition to BCU? So th this will be the great lesson of relationships, right? So when I started at back or at Community Trust, I was 32, um, which seem doesn't seem that long ago until I do the math, <laughs> and then it's, it is a lot long ago. When I, but I remember the first phone call that I received from someone was from Mike who I didn't know Mike at the time, Mike didn't know me. And he just called to say, hey, welcome to the area. I know what it's like to be a young executive. And if you need a sounding board or you need anybody to talk to, if you ever need any help on anything, feel free to give me a call. Um, happy to get together for lunch. Uh, but if you need anything, myself or my team, you know, we're here to help. And that grew into a 10-year mentorship and friendship that uh, we were at an event 
And there was a situation at my credit union, an opportunity for us to grow and do some things. And at the time, our board didn't feel it was the right time. The timing was right. And uh, I was telling Mike the story, and I'll never forget, he just looked at me and says, you know what, I think it's time you come work for me. And literally within 30 days or 60 days, I, I had given my notice and was on my way to work at Baxter. And that was a challenging moment because you're leaving being a CEO, but you're also going to a very large organization, one that's very progressive, that has an incredible reputation in the industry. So the pressures are different, the expectations are different, but it's still, the fundamentals aren't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Mike has been on the podcast as well. And so I think that that's, you know, his leadership, I think, does go through with, you know, everything that he talks about, too. And so you were at BCU, you know, during the 2007, 2009, you know, the Great Recession. So can you talk through how did you and Mike and the whole leadership team at BCU navigate through that and any, you know, lessons learned or outcomes that turned out to be positive through that that time period? Sure. So one of from in the area that I was responsible for, which was business development and working with the companies that the credit union serves, there was a lot of talk about what we always had is, as you probably know, and I know Mike was on here, but you know, growth Baxter has an incredible track record of growth and organic growth through who they serve, which is not the norm necessarily uh, for a lot of credit unions. And one of the things of our team was responsible for growth, membership growth. That was one of the big pieces we were responsible for. But with all of the chaos and there were layoffs happening at these companies and there were, uh, you know, at the time discussions about what are toxic investments? What do I do with my investments? What about my 401k? What about my spouse has lost their job or my significant other? And we got together as a team and, and all of us, which was what was very fortunate at BCU is people work so well as a team is we would sit and so my team, our thought was let's take an opportunity to to educate people on what these toxic investments are, what is going on in the stock market, what's affecting it, how is it going to affect me short term and long term. So as we were talking, we got together, we got a gentleman, a professor by the name of Pat Catania, who had been at, um, I think it was Eastern Illinois. And we actually did roadshows for all of our SEGs. We went to their their headquarters. We went to their um, facilities, to their plants, to their campuses. And the goal was to become the financial education provider to these companies. And we did that in, in one case, we supplanted Fidelity Investments as the financial educator for the company. And these were large companies, so tens of thousands of employees. And that was one of those lessons where everybody got behind it. Some people were questioning it. <laughs> like it's a lot of, it, it's an investment because we're traveling. We're doing this at a time where the economy's contracting at such a significant rate. Um, but it was successful and it worked. And it became, was kind of the foundation of their program that's really exploded well called Life Money U. So that was really that was a great opportunity and I think a great example, um, at least from what I was directly involved in. And then you had the whole mortgage department that exploded because 
we pivoted, the whole credit union pivoted. That's what people needed. That's what consumers wanted. People were scared. They wanted to go to their, a place they trusted. Mm-hmm. So they came to the credit union and the credit union was ready to embrace it and figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. And Life Money You is a big aspect that BCU and has continued to grow too. So they're, they've done a lot, you know, in terms of financial education. So that program has exploded. And yeah, it really has. It's it's been fun to watch uh, and and see what Jill and the team and everybody else have done with it because it's you know far exceeded anything that I was engaged in. But it, it's just fun to watch it. It's really impressive. Yeah, it really is. And I'd be curious. So now your current role as president and CEO at Maryland and DC Credit Union Association, what attracted you to to become you know the CEO of this of this specific organization? So one of the things that I had done in parallel with my career when I went to Illinois was get involved in the advocacy side of things. And I recall the first time that I went to a U.S. Congresswoman's, well, it was Congresswoman's office, we sat down and they started talking about what we do. And you could tell now I know that was the American Bankers Association's talking points about this is what credit unions are. They need to stay in a lane, et cetera, that things we hear as credit unions all the time. And I might be a little competitive, but uh, one of the things that came up is I was like, why does somebody else get to define who we are? Mm-hmm. And I started getting involved in testifying or submitting testimony, getting engaged with lawmakers getting involved with the league in Illinois. And I re- I enjoyed that because one of the things that it was, it was an opportunity to tell the credit union story, but then also tie that into the regulations that really either restrict us or allow us to grow mm-hmm. and how to influence that. And again, it was the opportunity to develop relationships, but also be a resource for those legislators or regulators and understand from a basic relationship standpoint, you're not going to always agree, mm-hmm. but at least if you can at least have a seat at that table, so your voice can be heard, that's a big that's a big advantage. So when this opportunity came, uh, that was the reason I, I talked with the league at the time and the board, and it felt very natural. And it was here in D.C., which is where is you know, the hub of politics, good or bad, unfortunately, but it, it still is, is where it happens. Yeah. Yeah. And how, any tips that you found, you know, as you were making that transition to make sure it was successful getting up to speed on, you know, culture and colleagues, like, was there any, any structure that you went through to, to kind of get acquainted with the, with the new organization? So my first 90 days, I dis I made the commitment to focus on, our staff and our team and to get to know the board, get to know our team, understand what we had been working on, what we were doing, what the goals had been, uh, what the vision of the future was for for the association. I, I came into the association from at least my experience on the other side of the desk with, and, and probably honed by my working at other credit unions of being very clear about your strategy and your focus. So it was to advocate, educate, communicate, and collaborate for credit unions. That's it. That, I mean, that's what we've focused on, and we continue to do that. And if it doesn't fit into those areas, 
then you know, that that's our governor mm-hmm. on what we do. So f- we focused on that initially with our team, and I wanted to get a team that could work, that felt empowered, and it, it takes time to do that when you're coming off an in- a culture that wasn't, that didn't embrace that as much. Mm-hmm. And since we serve our credit unions, no different than credit unions serve their members, uh, it was about getting and hearing the voice of our credit unions. So I made the commitment to get out and meet with every single credit union uh, that we had as a member and those that weren't members of the association to understand why and to hear what their what their thoughts on value were and how we could provide greater value than maybe we were doing. Mm-hmm. So that that was my approach was to listen. And that was really six months of, that's what I had told the board, 90 days really internally, the next 90 days focusing on getting out, meeting people, listening, and hearing what their needs were. Yeah, and you touched on team, and you have a unique um, certification where it's a certification of advancing diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace, and you got through Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. So I'd be curious, you know, what were the biggest takeaways that you learned going through that certification process? So that was something that was born out of after the murder of George Floyd. uh, We as an association felt that we needed to be committed to it. We worked with the African-American Credit Union Coalition uh, with Renee, and then we work with Georgetown um, the credit union as well. And the idea was, how do we create a program that actually that's sustainable? That isn't just a, you know, that this is an issue we need to address and we need to focus on. And that's what we took out of the program. We contacted Georgetown and we want, we were able to craft a program that was, they have a, they have an overall certificate, but this one was focused on credit unions and, credit unions um, specifically. So that is why we had created that. And I think the program more than anything is it it was an eye-opener. Um, I've talked about this, that AACUC had done a lot of work in creating an environment where people, um, you need to f- understand that you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And the Georgetown program, the certification did that, but at a much deeper level. And if anything, it opens your eyes to a lot of things that maybe you didn't understand or definitely didn't appreciate. Um, Different perspectives, different backgrounds, how actions, intentional or unintentional, uh, affect others. And it's not just that people are going to tell you what they're feeling or doing, that it's, it's also the responsibility, it's my responsibility also to understand how my actions and what I do or don't do affect others mm-hmm. and the ripple effect that that can have mm-hmm. to either lift people up or um, whether intentionally or unintentionally uh, walking past people. You know, I, we'd be curious to hear, you know, what kind of goals are you currently striving for as well as the credit union? You know, what are, what kind of goals do you have for the future? So my goal for the future in, in my role that I, where I sit in, in the in the job that I have is to continue to advocate for the difference that credit unions make in the communities that we serve. We, we're on Capitol Hill, we're in our state house, we're down in the District of Columbia, and there's constant noise about 
um, you know, when consumers are being taken advantage advantage of by other financial services providers, but it's not credit unions that you find that with. And I, it's really about making sure that credit union voices are heard and the credit union voices heard, whether it's on Capitol Hill with regulators, with consumers, that there is someone, there, there is a group of financial services providers that are looking out for consumers' financial well-being. That's what credit unions have always done. That's what we continue to do, and that's what we're going to continue to do. And I think making sure that credit unions have that independent voice and are able to continually communicate their differentiation and their diversity of who they serve and how they serve their members is critically important. That's my goal is as consolidation happens in our industry, especially within our credit unions and credit unions get larger, our friends on the banking side continually want to say, oh, well, they're too big. But that's it's not about what we do. It's about why we do it and the way we do it. And those are the important parts that we're not-for-profit cooperatives. And that's what we're there for is for our communities and making sure that that doesn't get lost and that that message doesn't get lost. So that, that from an organizational standpoint, is, is my goals. That's continually trying to make sure that credit voices are heard and differentiated. Yeah, yeah. And I think that you bring up a great point that that's really the credit union's goal is to serve the members, you know, and that's, I think that's an important value proposition of the credit union. So as you look back over your career, um, is there any advice that you would give, you know, your 25 year old self, if you can kind of go back in time and, and get share some words of wisdom? Ooh, there's lots that I would tell myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think part of it is enjoy every level that you're at in your career. Enjoy that and always have your goals where you want to be and what you want to do. Um, but I still get back to the, the initial pieces is, is always be authentic. Um, if you know, be who you are. Um, if you want to emulate somebody, um, one of the advices I got early on in my career outside of always being yourself was, start to develop a network and and you can look at a network with mentors and i would suggest if you're going to look for mentors this is where i felt very blessed and fortunate i always looked for mentors that were at places that i wanted to be whether it was the coo the ceo whatever that role was is to focus on that but focus on people that are doing it the right way mm -hmm. and focus on people that were successful because normally, if they're if they're authentic and successful, they're going to be able to give you advice, the right advice on how to get there. Um, I see a lot of people that sometimes met, look for mentors just because they're a certain position, and I would say, look beyond that. Look for somebody that you know has done it the right way. And the other component about creating that network as a younger professional is, uh, I look at people today that are CEOs that I started at when I was at the credit union and I can pick up the phone and call them and say, I've got this issue because you can't do that internally necessarily. Mm -hmm. You can't, especially if you've moved up through an organization, once you become the CEO, it you can't ask certain questions of your peers anymore or your colleagues at the office. And you need that network that you can pick up the phone 
that you can talk to, that you can network with and ask their advice and their experiences, how they've dealt with things. And that's a, that can be more powerful than I thought. Yeah. And, you know, during the pandemic, were there any resources or, you know, people that you leaned on to see how they're navigating, you know, the global pandemic and its impact? There were a lot of folks that, so the leagues have a great networking and a great opportunity as, as our, my colleagues that are league CEOs do a great job sharing. And we were on calls and we were talking about, well, what are you doing? How are you engaging people? And then we reached out to our credit unions and um, some of the best advice I got from uh, a few CEOs here were, you know, we had convened a meeting of all the, the credit union CEOs and I, it wasn't direct advice, but their comment was incredibly valuable and important was thanks for letting us just talk. Mm-hmm. Like no, everybody was remote. Nobody was having personal interaction and it was an awkward feeling for many. And that comment and that feedback, you know, really struck me that we had these round tables that we call them and they just talked and let them, people wanted to talk, you know, you, you can, I had all these ideas about, oh, we'll ask these questions, we'll talk about this. And then you recognize all of a sudden, that's not important. They just wanna talk, so just let it happen. And being aware of that, I think that was probably the best advice um, that that we got is just, it was great to be, keep us together. Yeah, yeah, no, that and that's great advice. And the last question that I have is actually from an audience member um, in prep for you know the next the next podcast episode, and their question is, what has been the best or most worthwhile investment that you've made throughout your career? The best investment. That's a tough. Yeah, one. it's a, it's a good question. So I had to save it till the end. So I would. I'm that. I'm trying to think about that. I I would say time, investing. You know, time in in learning. Right. I and again, I. I just go back to people that I've been mentored by and had the opportunity to to mentor that it, it's it's about it's still about relationships. I think it's the best investment you can make is in relationships with people. Mm-hmm. Is invest in invest your time in others whether you work for somebody or you work with somebody or somebody works for you, it's worth that investment of your time and giving them the attention that they need. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, John, thank you for taking the time to come out of the Road to the Top podcast for sharing your journey, your advice for others, and and really, you know, taking the time today. So we really appreciate it. Well, thanks. It's great to be here. I appreciate the invitation.